Welcome back to another amazing episode of MedShield Movement Connect show with me, Dr. Fess. With Mental Health Awareness Month being in October, we thought it would be really good to get into some of the difficult topics when it comes to mental health. And we've brought in a psychologist, the first one that we've had, Raki Bikram. Get ready to know what you don't know about being body brilliant. This is the MedShield Movement Connect show where we connect the dots between fitness, health, wellness, nutrition, and of course you. Hosted by me, Dr. Fez Mkize, and a special guest that we have every month, sharing knowledge, insights, and groundbreaking tips on how to get fitter, be stronger, and live healthier. Turn up the volume and listen close. Today you amplify. It's the MedShield Movement Connect show. Let's go. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, Rocky. Thank you, Fez, for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Um, you are the first psychologist we've actually had on the show, which is great because I feel like post-lockdown and COVID, it's, uh, it's time for us to really get into mental health and just understanding oneself. Um, but for you, I know I have my own story, and I think everybody kind of knows why I went into health and helping people. What drew you to people and the way they think? I think I was naturally very empathetic. So even as a child, everyone would come to me with their problems. <laughs> However, when I was in high school, I started to have panic attacks. It was very embarrassing, uh, very misunderstood. Um, there was no social media, mm -hmm. no internet. Um, nobody understood me and it was very lonely. I didn't fit in. Um, so it took a long time to understand myself. And I think I committed my life to doing something that would bring meaning to myself. And so no other person would feel lonely and misunderstood mm. in their experiences with mental health or mental illness. Wow. So you were doing self-care before it became clicky and self-care. That's amazing. I mean, growing up with those anxiety and the kind of panic attacks, how is it you got through that? Or did you only really get the way to kind of get through it once you started having the formal training? So I started to look for information. Of course, those would be in books or magazines because there was no internet at the time. I started to understand myself. Um, and as I grew older, as there was more access to information and resources, I started to learn about it, to understand myself, and to ensure that I can make anxiety my friend and make it work for me. <laughs> I love that you say make anxiety your friend because that does sound like a concept that can be unpacked quite well. Um, for you, as a psychologist, what would you say you work with? What If I would kind of have a line, what is a psychologist's role within the improvement or the optimization of a person? Okay, so psychologists work, uh, of course, in the sphere of mental health, but there are various aspects, depending on your own interests, your own skills, and whatever you've had experience with during the years. So I enjoy working with mood and anxiety disorders, mm -hmm. obviously. I love couples therapy. And because a lot of my practice has also been within medical hospitals, yeah. uh, I enjoy psycho-oncology and behavioral cardiology. So mm. working also with patients who've had medical illnesses and looking yeah. at the correlation between that and their mental health. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah, yes. uh, pretty straightforward. And of course, because mental health and mental illness exist on a continuum, at some, we are never 100% mentally healthy, right? <laughs> And yeah. we go through various challenges in life. So sometimes there's a misconception that you see a psychologist because you have a mental illness or psychiatric illness. Mm. But sometimes we all go through difficult things. Or you, we might go through heartbreak. We might go through loss. Um, 
we all might have some form of childhood trauma. Mm. When we think of trauma, we think about one big bad thing happening. But sometimes trauma can mean having an emotionally unavailable parent, ha growing up in a home with conflict, or having to grow up really quickly to face adult responsibilities. Mm. So that impacts on us. And if we don't unpack it, if we don't heal from it, it impacts on our relationships, romantic relationships, relationships in the workplace, etc. I mean, that's... I feel like I've had my foray in terms of like my psych rotation, my psychiatry rotation and having worked as an intern and as a student. But I know just hearing you describing all of these things and what kind of psychology and mental health encompasses, I can already see touch points for myself. Um, and things that I know after working and kind of looking through them can be seen as traumas because they can trigger me and they can make me think about things. We are moving into a time where mental health is now almost kind of on par with the physical ailments that people go to for a doctor or somebody to try and make feel better. What do you think kind of when it comes to mental health uh, is, is, are the root things or the, the foundational building blocks that can have somebody having a good mental health kind of sphere or one that might not be optimal? So we like to think about mental health as health because yeah. the definition of health must include mental health because mm. if you're not mentally healthy, then there is no health in any case. So we would look at uh, your emotions, um, your thinking processes, your social life. Do you have social support? Are you able to make rational decisions for yourself? Are you able to regulate negative emotions? And to negative emotions, you know, again, social media uh, goes on a toxic positivity vibe, yeah. which is positive vibes Always. only. Yeah. Uh, and as psychologists, we don't believe in that. We believe all emotions, even negative emotions, are completely valid. They don't disappear if we don't deal with them. Mm. So it's being able to accept, to acknowledge, and to process difficult emotions. And of course, relationships, because we don't live on an island. Uh, we're social beings. So if we are not mentally healthy, it will impact on our relationships. Either we're isolated or there's conflict within relationships because we don't know how to communicate, to ask for what we want, to solve mm. problems or set healthy boundaries. In, in your practice, especially with kind of the shift that happened with, I mean, we touched on the quarantine, lockdown, COVID, being separate from others, have you found that there's been any sort of a shift or is there a pattern that's kind of now emerged when it comes to people's mental health? Yeah. So, of course, in KZN, we've had it the worst. Yeah. <laughs> we've had, you know, we've had COVID where I think people who've never experienced anxiety mm. did experience anxiety, which was a very irrational anxiety because yeah. anxiety is not always irrational. Um, so those who are treated for anxiety prior to COVID actually coped a lot better than those who never, because they had the coping the skills. Yeah, the, the skills, yeah. Um, I've also noticed that um, introverts and extroverts had very different experiences. Mm. So introverts thrived working from home. Of course. Extroverts became very lonely because they thrive on connection with others. Mm. And so when it was time to go back to work, introverts were really unhappy about it and fighting the system. And extroverts were thrilled because they could connect with others. So these are some of the changes. But the one thing we've seen is the true resilience of people. Mm. That despite what we go through, we find this inner strength to deal with things. But we really have had a hard time. And it's important to give ourselves the compassion that sometimes we beat ourselves up or we harden ourselves because we feel we're not coping. But sometimes things are hard. Yeah. 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 And um, I guess just for me, I just kind of went inwards and started thinking about 
myself and the fact that anxiety tends to rear its head in all sorts of ways, especially with the number of things that I tend to do, not just kind of from the hospital environment, from kind of doing media things as well. If I were to, let's just say somebody were to come to you, and of course, I love that on your, on your Instagram, it says, uh, no advice via the DMs, because somebody is, it's a case by case thing, you have to have a number of variables that come into play. But if you were to have somebody who just had anxiety, what would be some of the key steps that you'd tell them they should do over and above, of course, seeking help? Okay, so the first, the whole root cause of anxiety are our thoughts. Mm. So the situation that makes you anxious might actually not make another person anxious. And the reason is it's not the situation, it's the way we perceive the situation. Mm. So, so the first and foremost thing is thinking or, or recognizing how we're thinking about a situation. So if you have an exam coming up and if your thoughts are, I'm going to fail, but you're a straight A student, then we know that's anxiety and it's irrational. Mm. But remember also anxiety or, or no mental illness knows barriers. So you could be highly intelligent and high functioning mm. and still struggle with anxiety. So it has nothing to do with intelligence. Mm. So we would look at the thought thinking I'm going to fail and we would ask ourselves the question, is it a fact? Do I have evidence to believe I'm going to fail? Mm. And if you had to dissect that, you realize, okay, no, I actually always pass, so chances are I'm not going to fail. And then we would look at, well, what can you do to prevent that outcome? Because yeah. then we focus on what we can control. What makes us anxious is focusing on what we cannot control. So what can you control? You can focus on your studies. You can ask for help if that's what you needed. Mm. You can get enough sleep because if we deprive of ourselves of sleep, it doesn't matter how much you study, yeah. you won't retain anything. So, And then look at the worst case scenario. So we often catastrophize about the worst case when mm -hmm. we can't sleep at night. Uh, we play the negative scenarios in our mind, but rather think about it in a logical way. So what is the worst case scenario? You might fail. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what will you do if you fail? So once you have a plan, you don't have to worry about it anymore. But we focus on the prevention. I have a plan for how to prevent it, and that is what is in our control and what we do. So, And, and then because anxiety is also physiological, mm. there are certain things we have to do. Ensuring you get a good night's sleep. Stay away from caffeine, which is a stimulant. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that's caffeine, definitely. I agree with you there. It tends to exacerbate any sort of feeling that I have. Um, and I, I, for me, I also find that, I mean, as somebody who has at least gotten the general principles of helping out, that's very true in terms of the sleep, the caffeine, when somebody comes in and they say that exacerbates it, but like diet, nutrition, and moving around. Um, I think in this day and age, I find people will go exercise and go straight to like, yes fitness model or like six-pack abs when you tell somebody that they need to move or have a certain amount of kind of exercise for the physiological benefits what are you actually indicating when you say that so move and <laughs> whatever it means so do you know we talk when we speak about trauma responses or stress responses we all know fight and flight mm -hmm. we very rarely talk about the most common probably which is the freeze, freeze. response yeah and so the first thing to do to get out of the freeze response is to move your body. So if you hate exercise, think about what you love. Do you love to dance? So get moving in some way. And we know that 
you know, exercise or movement releases endorphins in your brain, which helps you to feel better. We don't mean that you need to uh, hyper-focus on exercise yeah. because sometimes that's also distracting you from, you know, recognizing and dealing with the actual problem. Yeah. So, so if that's what you love and that's what you're inclined to, that's great. But of course we know that especially someone struggling with their mental health, they often don't have the energy. So we don't want to ask them to do something don't that's going more. to drain energy they don't even have in yeah. the first place. So if it's going for a walk, um, a walk in nature or doing something restorative like yoga or Pilates. That's, and that's actually something I tell people all the time. It's always funny because then they'll kind of scroll through or see images of me doing like, I don't know how many push-ups and stuff and be like, yeah, but really like look at what you're doing. But it is very much a movement thing because as humans, we tend to be optimal when we are moving. Sedentary lifestyles tend to then cause all sorts of other things that rear their heads. And I love that you're mirroring that it also has that effect when it comes to mental well-being. You say you like couples therapy. <laughs> now, uh, I would like to get some therapy when it comes to kind of couples and, and how one engages with another person, especially in the time that we live in where we are very much about trying to go and be go-getters and get things done. And, and it almost tends to sometimes be like about me and where I can be and be aspirational. And then I find that when I have somebody else with me, are they supposed to mirror me so that we can harmonize? Is that what one would think is like a good partner? Or is it the whole thing of opposites attract and then you kind of are trying to figure things out? What would you say are like building blocks when it comes to when you finally have your own thing and you want to have somebody else. Yes. So I think in a relationship, we should not lose ourselves. Mm. So there's me and there's we. They, they exist separately, but we coexist in harmony. Mm. So we should have our own interests. Otherwise, we're no different from each other. We're not being individual. However, our interests should not be in conflict with the other person. So you might love spot and your partner might not and that's okay as long as she's sometimes willing to watch a game with you but she doesn't need to love it or support your team either mm. so we need to support each other's goals but they don't necessarily have to be our own goals yeah. but as a couple you also need joint goals so mm. your vision for the future uh, what sort of things do you do together and when we speak about opposites attracting so sometimes opposites interests or opposite personalities might attract each other but what we definitely need are our values being aligned okay. because okay. a lot of conflict happens when our values are not aligned ah that's the root because it's always funny because I, I mean you always imagine that it would be like everything must be different and then if we have like some sort of a vibe or connection then we'll be able to kind of figure it out but it is a principle thing like the core principles that make you and i should be somewhat on a similar plane here Yes, because yeah. otherwise, you know, the chances of conflict are then increased. Okay. So we live in a time of social media um, and I feel like over and above following you, which everybody is probably going to do. And we're going to have you here for all sorts of psychology things I need. Uh, I'm not saying I need a lot, but, but I need a fair amount. Who are people that you think are quite inspirational when it comes to making all of these different topics that make up the the mind of a person who are those people that make it more palatable and easier to digest and it doesn't just have to be people on social media but people you find are, are inspirational in describing mental health and mental wellness yeah. 
So I think, you know, I think because our personalities are different, they're different people that we might resonate with. Yeah. One of the authors that I've been following for a long time and I really enjoy is Robin Sharma. He shares very freely. I love listening to his podcasts. Uh, a medical doctor in the UK that I also religiously follow uh, and love listening to his podcast is Dr. Chatterjee, Rangan Chatterjee. He's been on the BBC. He interviews professionals, so health professionals from all over the world, life, uh, yeah. you know, and focuses and brings together very well both physical and mental health. Mm. Um, so those are two people that I regularly follow and read about. In terms of relationships, I love the work of Esther Perel. Uh, she's really revolutionary uh, person to yeah, uh, to learn about relationships and learn about ourselves in relationships. Yeah, yeah. And she might change the way we traditionally thought about, thought about relationships. Listen, I. And I'm, I always tell people, however you can get information and kind of process information is important. But I do find that in the era that we live in, from podcasts to visuals, it's always really good to know touchstones that are approved by professionals like 100%. yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think we live in an infodemic as well. So when you're following someone, be sure that they're qualified to do mm -hmm. what they do. They're qualified to share what they're sharing. Do they have the qualifications, the expertise and the experience? Otherwise, social media can also open up you know, open us up to a whole lot of harm. Very, very true. Yourself, in terms of platforms that we might be expecting you to have, be it a podcast such as this or any sort of YouTube work, is there something that you are going to be going to just to try to spread more of this information and the message that you have? Yeah. So I primarily use Instagram and Facebook. Mm -hmm. However, in 2020, during the pandemic, I started a podcast called Coming Home, which which uh, has been asleep for a while now. But I, I think a lot of my patients especially have been asking, can we restart? So I'm hoping to restart early 2023. I know when it comes to being able to kind of set boundaries for oneself, it's very important, but it almost feels selfish sometimes. I know when I've tried it, it feels like what I'm doing is going, no, I don't want you to be in my space. So I tend to, as a people please, I want to kind of just be open all the time. How would you tell somebody or even validate that sending a boundary is important for one's well-being. I think we also need to recognize where this comes from. If you grew up in a collectivistic culture, mm -hmm. uh, self-sacrifice is praised. Yes. So, uh, and we're called selfish for taking care of ourselves. So it's something ingrained in us. And we also know that realistically, there are some people who won't approve of us taking care of ourselves. So setting boundaries is essential because we might lose our identity if we don't, because if we're always doing things to make other people happy, we forget about who we are in that. Um, and it also keeps us safe. So just like you have a physical boundary around your home, you will have a wall or a fence. It also serves the purpose of keeping you safe. You get to choose who enters and we want people who are not going to harm us and it keeps out anyone who's dangerous. So in the same way, our emotional boundaries protect us from relationships that are toxic, abusive, or disrespectful. Uh, and sometimes the easiest thing is saying no. So also setting boundaries doesn't mean cutting people out of your life. It just means having enough distance that is safe for you. I feel like you guys are gonna have to go and find her so you can actually understand how to do that very healthy, well, in a healthy way, because I also know that I can kind sometimes swing to being a no person just like no and and it is also a bit of a, a skill a bit of a nuance to it to be able to set it without being overly aggressive or feeling like you're being overly aggressive so i think would you then say somebody needs to see somebody before they start setting those boundaries 
Yeah. So sometimes there are practical ways that we could learn without seeing a therapist if you really struggle. And of course, if you have difficult people in your life, it is a lot harder. Uh, you know, if nobody's supporting you with your boundaries, it can feel harder. And you're right. We don't just have to say no. We often become passive aggressive. So we take it all the time and we say yes and yes and yes. And it's too much. And we explode. Yep. And the other person also is confused because they don't know <laughs> so what the reaction's about. That? And, and the gentler ways to say it, to say, and the easiest thing. So if you're a people please and don't know how to set boundaries, the, the one tip that you need is to say, let me get back to you. So it gives you a chance to retreat, to think about all the reasons that you want to say no, or is there something or some limit you want to offer to say, well, I can't do it this weekend, but next weekend might be fine. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, Raki. It's been very informative. You're very good with giving information that is very understandable, tangible, and can kind of be implemented. And I'm very keen to have you on hopefully further episodes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Fez. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Another beautiful episode, hopefully helping you get some more insight into anxiety and into some of the many, many things that come into play when we're talking about your mental health. Please go find her on Instagram. She's yeah, she's got a lot to talk about. I was kind of scrolling through and I was falling in love in terms of some of like the confirmation of like mental health and the couple's health and everything else. So go find her. Thank you for watching me, Dr. Fez, and we'll see you on the next episode.